0: So what's going on everybody? Very grateful that you're here tonight. Thanks Jeff and Alicia for that wonderful worship. You know it's hard to it's hard to play and sing at the same time. And if you've if you've watched over the past couple of Weeks and and months, uh, Alicia has just really blossomed into just a wonderful worship leader. Same with Jeff Barnett as well. Matthew, our sound and lighting and tech guru, is just doing it all back there. And uh, you don't have to clap for him, it's all right. Thank you for the people who cooked and cleaned tonight. Uh, And as you can tell, my voice sounds a little bit different tonight, maybe. Uh, My uh, 21-month-year-old son decided to pass on a lovely cold to me. And uh, so from Sunday till today, it's been like this, but I feel good. Uh, It's just my voice is going to sound sexier and sexier as the night goes on. Uh, some people like that, you know, like Macy Gray made a living doing that. You, you know who I'm talking about, right? Macy Gray, I try to say goodbye in a choke. You don't know that song? Come on. So that's what I'm going to sound like as the night goes on. Don't worry. I might have to get a couple water breaks. But we've got table talk coming up. You're going to need a, a Bible too. But um, let's just begin with it tonight. Uh, tonight our passage in Romans, it deals with a man named... Abraham. And now I don't want to assume that everyone is familiar with Abraham, so we're going to go bring it back to the Brick Testament, to Legos. I think that Abraham is one of the most remarkable characters in the pages of Scripture. The guy begins as a pagan. Essentially, with a wife who is barren. And one day the Lord tells him to leave everything. We're not there yet. Uh, go back tells him to lead everything behind, your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. This is from Genesis chapter 12. The Lord says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And Abe does something crazy. He obeys. He obeys, and through an adventure of great twists and turns, through more than one pretend-my-wife-is-my-sister story, through warfare and having to rescue his nephew Lot more than once, through promises and penis-cutting, through mis... I was going to show an image of that, but I'm like, no, this is church. I can't, can't do that. Uh, through missteps with an Egyptian slave girl. You know the story if you've read Genesis 16. It was actually his wife's idea, but he didn't object to it either. But through the, the Sodom or destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, through an unbelievable birth, of Isaac from a 90-year-old womb and then figuring out how to parent as a 100-year-old and through having to sacrifice this kid that you've waited 25 years for only to be stopped at the final second, like, dang, I'm really going to have to do this parenting thing. That's a a joke. It's all right. But... uh the story of Abraham and his relationship with God is just remarkable. It's so remarkable that it's actually shaped Paul and his explanation of what it means to be made righteous. That is what it means to be made right with God, what that looks like. So tonight we continue with Paul's letter to the church at Rome, what we may call today the book of Romans. We continue with the second half Of chapter 4. Now earlier in chapter 4, Paul, our author, has been speaking about the faith of this man Abraham and his being made right in relationship with God. How it wasn't his works, it wasn't the things he did or the things he achieved, but it was his faith in God that made him right with God. So if you're able to stand, we're going to read from Romans chapter chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. It says, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then... Faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So God, this is a lot of confusing stuff we're going to be exploring tonight. Would you make it clear and plain? Lord, my voice is feeble and it always is compared to your voice. So we ask for your voice to speak to us tonight through this letter that inspired so many people over the generations. Would you inspire us tonight? We love you, Jesus. It's all about you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So let's just be honest, this passage tonight is technical and a bit tricky, but as we go through it, I want to do so as worship. That's how we should always approach scripture, you know, as worship to God through our hearts and through our minds, through our passions, and through our intellect. Verse 13 says clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. So imagine you're in the book of Genesis. You are Abraham, whose name means exalted father of the multitudes. But earlier on here in Genesis chapter 12, he simply named Abraham abram It's a shorter name of Abraham. His name just means exalted father. And say you're this exalted father, or at least that's your name. You're a pagan, essentially. And you've got a wife who is barren. So much for that name, exalted father, right? It's just awkward when you tell people your name. Like, oh, my name's Abram, exalted father. Everyone's like, oh, how many kids do you have? Oh. Yeah, I don't have any kids. My wife is barren. And and one day, the Lord tells you just to leave everything behind. Leave it all there. Your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I, God, will show you. But wait. <laughs> I don't even know who you are, God. But this God then promises you something that sounds absolutely Absurd. I will make you into a great nation. But wait, God, my wife is barren. How is that going to be possible? I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Crazy, right? Impossible and absurd. But regardless, regardless of all the obstacles and hoops to jump through and mountains to climb and doing the impossibles, Abe obeyed and trusted and believed he had faith in God. And the promise God gave and fulfilled to Abraham, it was not based on his obedience. It was not based on works of the law, also known as Torah, 613 laws, 613 laws of do's and tones, which actually didn't exist for another 430 years. Instead, it was based on right relationship with God that came by faith. I want to do some table talk tonight. Talk to the people around you. Even though we know we are saved by grace through faith, that it's not by any works that we could ever achieve. What are some so-called laws that Christians enforce and wrongly expect believers to adhere to today? Maybe, for instance, like, oh, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Well, what? what? Like, that's one, for instance, that you could, you could address. There are many others. But why do we do this? Why do we do this? And then how is this problematic to the life of believers, non-believers, the church, and our mission? Okay? you got a lot to go through, so get to it. All right, go ahead and finish the thought, and we'll bring it back together. What are some laws that Christians enforce and wrongly expect others to adhere to? A couple that I came up with was, was how about this law of like, you must read your Bible and pray. That, that's great. It's, it's, that's what's not going to get you into heaven. It might help your relationship. It might help you as a, a person, as a human being. But that's that's not a law that we uh, are uh, thou shalt Must abide by. Or how about, don't hang around people like that. Don't hang around people like that. Really? Who'd Jesus hang around? Maybe not people like, we're hanging around. Or how about, you have to go to church. Going to church is great. It's going to make your life so much better. And guess what? You might make someone else's life even better too. But when we make it a law that you should go to church every single Sunday or every single Wednesday, and if you don't, then you're failing, what, what have we become? Like, what, are, are we taking attendance, marking tardies? No. Or, or how about this idea that, that we must be a cookie cutter, that this is what a Christian man or a Christian woman looks like? <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. You can maintain that facade for like an hour and a half on Sundays, hour and 15 on Wednesdays, but man, at home you don't look like that at all. You know, I'm not calling you guys out. I'm just calling like in general. We have but why do we do this? Well, cuz we're afraid. We're afraid of the truth. And then secondly, like how is this problematic to to the life of the church? Well, yeah, it, it destroys it because that's not what the gospel is all about. That's not what being in right relationship with God is all about. And then non-believers see it and they're like, it's just, a, it's just hypocrisy. I don't want anything to do with that. And our mission is shot. But when we actually figure out what we're supposed to be doing and just do it, all of these things fall into place. We are going to want to read our Bibles and pray. We are going to want to, to hang around people actually who, who need to hear about this, this Savior and this experience of, of life everlasting. We do want to go to church. We want to be the church, but not cookie cutters. Verse 14 says, If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. So last week we went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium and it was amazing for me to to think about that on, on Tuesday morning I was going to take Zeke to see things that he has never seen in his entire life. You're going to see creatures, you're going to see jellyfish. You're going to see sharks that you've never seen except on TV or something. It was amazing and and Before we even got there, Tara had her heart set on something. My wife, Tara, had her heart set on getting Zeke a stuffed animal of his choosing. Now, I figured I was going to have to take out a loan in order to do this. Uh, more, More about this to come. But if we were to promise Zeke a cute, cuddly, stuffed animal, he'd look forward to receiving it, the entire day, freely as a gift. But if we were to add the condition that in order to get that cute, cuddly, stuffed animal, he had to behave. Well, that changes everything. Now, you might just say, well, that's good parenting. Like, you should do that. But actually, faith in the promise then becomes irrelevant. Now, don't apply this to parenting. Parenting, yeah, do that. But when it comes to our relationship with God, faith in the promise becomes irrelevant because now it's all about behavior. It's all about obedience. It's all about merit. It's no longer a matter of faith receiving the promise. It's merely an exchange, an achievement to be earned. If I do this, then I earn a cute cuddly, stuffed animal. In a sense, the promise then becomes pointless. It's an achievement, not a gift freely given. But the amazing part is, Zeke was a perfect angel the whole day. Not that he would have even understood this works-based righteousness, but our chubby 21-month-year-old picked not a narwhal, not a shark, not an otter, but a penguin. I'm like, bro, when we even looked at the penguins, you didn't even care one bit. But that's what he, you know, and he, we call him Popper now Popper the Penguin. So, in a nutshell, if righteousness or salvation or discipleship is just about obeying 613 laws, 248 do's and 365 don'ts, then faith is not necessary. And promise is pointless, it's merely an exchange. Not a relationship. Verse 15 says, For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The law, the only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. The law, 248 do's and 365 don'ts, does not bring about righteousness or salvation or discipleship. It doesn't make us right with God but it brings about the error of our ways because no one can keep it perfectly. Verse 16 says, So the promise is received by faith. And then what is faith? It's helplessness, reaching out in total dependence on God. It is given as a free gift like a cute, cuddly penguin, unearned by behavior or obedience or merit we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. Now, I like how the, the message paraphrase puts it. It kind of breaks it down, makes it a little simpler to understand. It says this, This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and His way, and then simply embracing Him and what He does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father of all of us, of us all. He is not our racial father. That's reading the story backward. He is our faith father. Verse 17 says, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. And that was when he and Sarah were both dead in their reproductive powers. This happens because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. It's who God is the object of our faith. He is the God who created uncreated nations from unreproductive powers made reproductive. It's who God is, the object of our faith. He's the one who brings dead things back to life, who creates new things out of nothing. So let's talk about that. Share an experience of when God brought something dead back to life in your life. How have you seen God create new things out of nothing in your life? How might your life be different if you had a constant faith in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing? Ready, go. All right. So um, by a show of hands, who has experienced God bringing something dead back to life in your life? Okay, um, so you guys who raised your hands, you are people who live in hope and have reason for hope. The people who, who didn't raise your hand, uh, we're going to invite you to experience Jesus as your Lord and Savior because uh, that would be an awesome opportunity for you to become alive. Amen. So we'll do that at the end. Some of you guys just didn't want to raise your hands because I know the dead things that have come to life in your lives. Uh, But verses 18 and 19 continue even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. When Abraham had every reason not to hope, when every obstacle put in his way was to prevent him from hoping when everything was hopeless. What did he do? He hoped. He believed anyway. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. As many as the stars in the sky. As many as the grains of sand on the seashore. As many as the particles of dust over the whole entire Earth And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Clearly, this promise of you becoming the father of many nations, Abraham, is going to take an act of God. Because there's no blue pill, Cialis, Viagra, in vitro fertilization methods at your disposal. The best you can get your hands on are some mandrakes or some watermelons. There's no hope of obtaining descendants naturally. I mean, you already tried the surrogate thing with Hagar, this Egyptian slave girl. And God's like, no, Abe, my promise ain't playing like that. I'm doing the impossible. And Abraham learned to believe the impossible. And now, it's not that Abraham closed his eyes to reality. It's just that he became so strong in faith that he became undaunted by each passing impossibility. And sure, he made his mistakes, his missteps with the Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, his pretend my wife is my sister stories. But when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. He decided to believe that God is able to do just what he said he would do. And what remarkable people of faith you and I can become when we decide to believe that God is able to do just what he said he would do. That's reality after all, isn't it? And shouldn't that shape our reality? I know it shapes the lives of the people who raised their hand when they said, I've seen God bring dead things back to life in my life. Verse 20 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. Just how amazing it was to hear Christie's testimony about how faith, or how how pain actually built faith in her life, helped her to grow stronger, and ultimately brings glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, that God is able to do just what he said he would do, that he's going to fulfill each and every promise that he's made to you and to me. So don't give up on God, because he won't give up on you. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. That is, right with God because of his faith. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins... And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Jesus was handed over to death for sin and for justification. For making us right with God. Both are a connected reality. The crucifixion and resurrection go hand in hand. Because, well, the crucifixion doesn't make sense without the resurrection. It's just a sad story. But also, the resurrection doesn't make sense without the crucifixion. But the resurrection is the supreme sign of the new age. That something new is breaking in. That a new light is dawning on the horizon. Something never seen before. It's something that defies every law of nature and our most complex conceptions of possibility. It is, quite frankly, the impossible. A promise received by faith as a free gift from the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. For this is who our God is. The object of our faith. The one that we helplessly reach out to in total desperation. You know, I heard a pastor one time speaking about uh, some lady who was going through a hard time in, in her life. And, and the pastor said something very insensitive and very just like straight up wrong. And and said like, oh, you know, this, this lady, she just like cannot handle anything. It's like she's clinging to God, throwing herself down upon God, desperate for God in every single situation. We're like, What? <laughs> Isn't that what we're supposed to do? To be totally, completely dependent, helplessly dependent on God? Maybe she should be the pastor. That's what I thought when I heard Christy speaking tonight. I'm like, what do I have to say? How do I, why do I have to follow that? Because that was such gold right there. You know, there's this scene in Genesis chapter 15 where years have passed and events have unfolded. Abraham had been given the promise three chapters before. Time has passed, but the promise of God is yet to be fulfilled. Nothing has happened to further events along. Abe's getting older. His wife is climbing up there in age two. But the promise of God is yet to be fulfilled. Abe's in this in-between situation. He's an in-between person trying to live out a faith in between the struggle of impossibility and absurdity. And you know what? I find that sometimes we too are similar in-between people. We're in-between people who've received a great promise that awaits us and we live for it it's already here but not yet fully and as we wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled let's be honest it can be tiresome sometimes to live out a a faith in between the struggle of impossibility and absurdity But in the face of impossibility, in the face of absurdity, I want us to leave here tonight with the words that God spoke to good old Abe in his struggle. Genesis 15, 1b. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Sounds great, right? Like that that would be a good place to end leave off sounds like enough but Abe he's maybe like you and me he gives God the list of impossibilities before him but then God reaffirms him by reaffirming the promise and then as it says in Genesis 15 5 through 6 then the Lord took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. And in this day and age, there was no light pollution like we have today. You go outside today, you're like, oh, one, two, three, four, five. That's my, that's my descendant right there. That's, that's the whole total of them. But no, look up at the stars and try and count. Go ahead. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I pray that you and I would grow strong in faith to believe that God is actually able to do just what he said he would do. I pray that that we, when we are faced with every reason not to hope, that when every obstacle is put our way to prevent us from Hoping, or, or maybe it's just simply being distracted or sidetracked or pulled away by the desires of this world. By the enticing, alluring things of this world. When everything seems hopeless, may we be the people who hope. The people who believe anyway. You know, for, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, unsure or just maybe have never experienced God bringing dead things back to life in your life, I want to pray right now and just give you that opportunity. Maybe it's just for you to see relationships or situations where dead things have come back to life. Maybe it's just entering into a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to achieve anything. All you have to do is open up your heart and accept it. Receive it freely. It's like a a cute, cuddly, stuffed penguin that you did nothing for. That you could never do anything for. It is a free gift of priceless value. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the free gift of life that you give us. And I pray, Lord, for people in here today who want to experience that maybe for the first time, that they would say, Jesus, would you come into my life? I want to accept your free gift of eternal life that I do not deserve, that I have done nothing for, that I could never do anything to achieve or receive it, but to open up my heart and invite you in. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave. Would you come into my life and show me how to live? God, may we be people of faith, people of hope, who don't rest on any laurels or any achievements or any laws that we could come up with to separate ourselves or try to pretend like we're better than others because, well, we think we are. Lord, we are not, but you are great. You are the object of our faith. You are the hope of glory. Lord, help us not to rest until we learn to serve you and love you in a way that's fitting and right. But also, Lord, help us to realize that it's not about the work. It's about the relationship. And so, Lord, would you inspire us to, to be creative in our lives to invest in that relationship with you. That it's not work, but it's relationship and love. And so, Lord, we want to know you. We want to glorify you. We want to serve you. And we thank you for your free gift. In Jesus' name. Amen.